0: Twists and sentimentalities. Um, this evening, for well, for many different reasons, I suppose in one sense. But um, I, I didn't want to fall into the same trap of, of just doing the sentimentality. Um, I, I wanted tonight to be to be a wee bit more real, to be a wee bit more honest. And so, apologies if maybe some of the emotions maybe caught you by surprise <laughs> uh, earlier on, or and. But I think it's important that we acknowledge that that's the reality of Christmas for so many. So many of the things that we talk about when it comes to the angels and shepherds and wise men and um, baby Jesus making mild, it doesn't really fit history. And we lose a wee bit of the authenticity, and yet one of the things that does remain perhaps the most accurate is the story of the angels coming to the shepherds. I've called the series of Christmas messages this year Unexpected because God has a way of doing things at a time that we don't expect in a way that we don't expect with results that there's no way we could have ever expected. That tends to be how he works. He tends to uh, excel in the unexpected. Perhaps the most unexpected people to be part of the Christmas story is the shepherds. These guys were probably not that old, probably mid-teens, 14, 15, 16. Uh, They're on the night shift. These guys are not in management. Okay, It's not the A-team that's out. These guys are probably just servants of the guy who owns the sheep. Sheep is big business in Bethlehem. And uh, because uh, it's just a few miles from Jerusalem, uh, all the sheep from Bethlehem tended to be used in sacrifice up at the temple, which meant that, um, I love how this works because it just happens still today. If you're bringing a sheep to sacrifice, if you're bringing it a long way, it's going to get damaged, it's going to get hurt because sheep are stupid, that they're stupid animals. So you can't risk bringing it all the way from home. But you don't want to pay the full price up at the temple. Oh no, because the prices go up. So... You plan your way. You come through Bethlehem. You pick up a sheep locally and you have only a few miles to go. That's how it worked. Even the guys who sold the sheep up at the temple for the extortion of prices sourced their sheep at Bethlehem. So sheep owning in Bethlehem is a big deal. But these guys probably were not expecting. Even if they knew the Christmas story was happening down in that town, they would never have expected to be part of it. Now, there's many historical reasons as to why, but shepherds were viewed very lowly in so many parts of society in Israel. um, They did live their lives apart from the people. I could take you all the way back to Genesis with the ancient Egyptians and Joseph as to why shepherds were hated so much. But really, the main reason is that they had to work on the Sabbath. The Jews keep a Sabbath. Friday night through to Saturday night. You're not allowed to do any work. In fact, if you go to Jerusalem, even still today, you go to the hotels, the elevators don't work normally on Sabbath because pushing a button is considered work. They don't want to do any work on on, on a Sabbath. So the elevators stop at each point, up and down, up and down, up and down. It's just how seriously they take it. And so these shepherds, they couldn't comply with the Sabbath rules. Sacrifices were being offered daily at the temple, and they had to look after the sheep, these stupid animals, and so they always had to work. They couldn't keep the Sabbath there at the lowest rung of society. And yet I find it so awesome. That God, when he is going to announce the greatest of the greatest news, he doesn't go to the blue bloods of Rome or Jerusalem or Athens, but to the blue-collared workers of Bethlehem who are low in the social army. You ever want to know what it's like to be a shepherd in Israel? Well, have you ever been taken for granted? Have you ever felt unappreciated? undermined, talked down to. You work hard, but they still treat you like dirt. You're needed, but not wanted. Then you have an idea of what it's like for these men, these young men being shepherds in Bethlehem. Yet it's amazing that God doesn't see them that way. In fact, he makes a big deal and speaking to them, and yet he, 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 he draws near to them, why because he wants them to know without a shadow of a doubt they're invited to this party. they are to be included in this celebration because this message, this savior is for everyone. Make sure you understand this right from the start. God wants to make sure you know that no matter how much value you put on your life, whether you've got a big head or actually maybe you're very critical on yourself or you're very hard on yourself or very down on yourself or, or regardless of how, what other people put on your life in terms of value. Maybe it's people and they like to build you up or maybe people hammer you down and they like to kind of squeeze you down and you feel like you've always got this foot on your back. However it is that you see yourself this Christmas, God says you're invited to come and draw near to the Saviour. This Christmas. Now, we've hinted at this throughout the service. Christmas isn't easy for everyone. And there's lots of reasons for that. It could be bereavement, it could be just that there's distance or or there's some sort of barrier between you and being with the people that you want to be with. Um, It might be sickness. Um, I know that in my family, we've had to cancel uh, a party for for Thursday night because um, extended family have fallen out throughout the year. And whenever we went to them and said, look, are you going to be civil to each other? They were like, probably not. I was like, well, well, don't drag us into that. And it sucks for me because that's been a family tradition my entire life. 36 years and counting, and it's going to come to a halt this week. That hurts. Heard some more from my mum, who's been doing it even longer, and from my granny, who just is breaking her heart over it. Christmas can take its toll on people. More people commit suicide at Christmas than any other time of year in Northern Ireland his feelings like loneliness and isolation and depression and anxiety and stress and pressure, whether it's pressure to put on this facade that it looks like everything's perfect, or the fact that you just don't even know where to begin with where what perfect's supposed to look like. God says, you are invited to come and draw near to the Savior. It's hard whenever you get to a point and you pictured life one way and yet it's not how you pictured it. Maybe 2019 didn't live up to the billing or the promise of 12 months ago. Uh, and uh, I think there's maybe something that is the problem here. Maybe you're looking at the wrong picture. Because Christmas is not about being picture perfect. Uh, and by the way none of us are picture perfect okay you maybe come in here and you're saying all these guys they've got it sorted out trust me I know most of the people in this room really well none of us have got it all together maybe we don't go broadcasting our proms to everyone but that's human nature we all like to put up a bit of a shield a bit of a mask but no one's perfect But Christmas isn't about being perfect and having this Facebook, Instagram kind of filtered life. Christmas is God saying, this is not about religion. This is about everyone, especially those who feel left on the outside. My daughters love puzzles. Bethany in particular, she's four. She loves doing jigsaws, and so me and her will do jigsaws uh, daily. Uh, Ruth also loves jigsaws, but I'm not allowed to help her. Apparently, I'm exhausting. Um, So what I do is she gets a big 1,000-piece or 2,000-piece, and I'll do one bit, and then I tell everyone we did it, because she didn't do it all herself. I helped, but I don't know why that's exhausting, but apparently it is. I think I'm hilarious. (coughs) <coughs> but imagine taking all the jigsaw pieces out of one box with the picture on of what it's supposed to be. You take all those pieces and you swap them over with the pieces of another jigsaw. So the wrong pieces are in a box. What's going to happen? Well, someone's going to come along sooner or later and they're going to see the picture on the box and they're going to empty out the pieces and they're going to start putting together the pieces as best as they can to create a picture on the box that isn't going to match the pieces that are in front of them someone's going to get frustrated very quickly. But that's what so many people do with their lives, right? We try to build our lives according to a picture that we've created in our heads of what we think our lives should look like. And yet God has given us different pieces and yet we get then we get frustrated when the pieces don't come together. And we get frustrated and we get angry because we think it should look a certain way. And we lash out at God. We get angry at the church. We get angry at everyone around us. All the while, God's trying to say, no, no. But I'm, I'm trying to get you towards a different picture. I'm trying to get you to, to move towards something different. To visualize something different from your life than what you're trying to do right now. I don't know how you've pictured Christmas this year. Maybe you held on to this idea of being perfect, or if you worked hard enough, or you earned enough, or you did enough, and you filled it up with enough stuff, it would be perfect. Can I suggest that as we look to the shepherds, we start by getting the right picture of Christmas? And it's not about perfection, it's not about filling it up with stuff but that God wants to include everyone in the celebration of his son. No exceptions. So how did God extend that celebration? Well, uh, to make sure that no one was left in any doubt, he sends an angel. First one, and then the sky gets filled with them. Now, angels, there's... 34 books of the Bible mention angels, 17 in the Old Testament, 17 in the New Testament. And they're spiritual beings, heavenly beings uh, that, that God uses to speak to people. Now, something that I've noticed, that I, hands up, I can't necessarily prove this beyond reasonable doubt. I may not be able to get this into a court of law, but I just want to show you something. I, I, I'll leave it with you. I think it's accurate. Um, and I just want to show you this. Whenever we read the passages, the angel says to them in Luke 2.13. And then we says in verse 13, Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and what? They're saying glory to God. So often we read this and we're expecting them to sing. Uh, and they're singing Gloria and, uh, and, and all the rest. But actually, there's nothing in the text at any point, not in the original language, that says these angels were singing a note. In fact, whenever we go through Scripture, there's only two times we ever see angels singing. I'd like to know where they are? The first is at the beginning of creation, before sin comes into the world. And the second time is at the end of Revelation whenever Christ is victorious and all the saints are gathered together and then the angels sing. If you're interested, it's Job 38. For the beginning, Job is questioning God and he's struggling with suffering. His life isn't picture perfect. He's wondering what's going on. Why are all these pieces of my life falling apart? And then chapter 38, it's God's turn to speak and he comes along and basically in language he turns around and says, "Here are you to counsel, um, <coughs> to, to darken counsel by words of understanding? Who do you think you are? You don't know what you're talking about. He says, put on your big boy trousers. Let me ask you a few questions. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? And it goes on and on and on. And then he says, When I put down the cornerstone over the world, when the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted with joy. I might sound a wee bit cryptic, but to me that sounds like the angels were singing when God created the world. The beginning of the story was happening and the angels were singing. And then Scripture's silent about angels singing a note until you get to Revelation 5. And the Lamb Christ takes the scroll from the Father. And the four living creatures, four angelic beings, along with the 24 elders, human leaders, they fall down to the throne and they sing a new song. And they said, you are worthy. I don't know how the tune goes, otherwise I would sing it to you now. But it says, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals, for you have redeemed us by your blood out of every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. And it says, the choir of heaven and all of the angels, 10,000 times 10,000 joined with those other angels and started the song. So we've got angels singing before the curse and they'll not sing again until after the curse. And if I'm piecing this together, right, I'm maybe, hopefully, not putting too much weight in- into the text, which maybe I am, but I don't think so. That if this is indeed the case, do you not think it frustrates the angels whenever it comes to singing in church and we're just standing there going, <sighs> because all they want to do is get to that point where they can sing again. They can't wait to do that. Uh, and they want to do that because we're the only ones who've been redeemed, and so we should sing like it. And I mean, that just convicted me whenever I started considering, uh, considering the angels dead and what they will do. I don't know. I think what angels are calling in heaven to do is for humans to worship Christ. to sing what he has done for us. Because they can't get to that point yet. They can't get there soon enough. I think ultimately that's the heart of the message tonight. Get down there, you shepherds. Get down into Bethlehem. You're part of this. And for Pete's sake, sing, worship, rejoice. (laughs) Grasp what is happening. That's what the angels are saying. Now, the first thing, though, that the angels said was, fear not. Why? Because that's how most people react when they see an angel, right? Especially these guys. These guys who know it, they're at the bottom rung of the ladder and they go, oh, angel, well, that's us, we're goners, we're dead, That and night, that's us, gone. I says, no, 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 no. Fear not, fear not. I'm not here to hurt you. I'm a friend. Just listen. Because I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you that you'll find a baby wrapped in swollen clothes and lying in a manger. And there's so many reasons in this world for us to be afraid. So many things that maybe have caused you to be afraid last year. Maybe things looking forward and you are afraid. There's fears of rejection. But the baby in a manger in John 6 will say, whoever comes unto me, I will in no wise cast out. I'm never going to reject you. I'm never going to let go of you. So come. For others, there's a fear that no matter what they do, they can never do enough to, to sustain things that they need to do. Or they can never be enough for the other people that are around about them in their lives. And they're, and they're so afraid that they're going to fail. And they're so afraid that they're not going to be able to be good enough. The baby in the manger in Matthew 11 says, Come unto me, all who are tired and weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Others have a fear of dying. Yet the baby in the manger in John 10 says, I will give you eternal life. That's why I've come. And they will never perish. and No one will snatch them out of my hand. I hope you see a new picture forming over this Christmas story. Do not fear. God is drawing near. Uh, There's no one who's too low. There's no one who's too sinful. There's no one who's too dirty. There's no one who's too unreachable, too far away, that this invitation can't be extended to. Even lowly shepherds. Go and worship. Go and sing. Go and rejoice in what Christ has done The angel says there will be a sign. What is that sign? A baby wrapped in blankets. You'd like to think that's all babies, right? What's so special about that? Here's the beautiful thing. Remember, these shepherds, they were raising the sheep for where? The temple, for sacrifice. But the rules for what lambs would be acceptable or not were very strict. It had to be without any bruises, any scars, any markings. And so to protect their income, what they did was they took those little baby lambs and they wrapped them up in swaddling clothes. And so those lambs that you'd see wrapped up were marked for sacrifice. They were sacrificial lambs. And so the angel says that there's, going to be a, there's a baby who's been born in Bethlehem but the one you're looking for is going to be the one who's going to die for our sins. He's going to be the sacrificial lamb. He'll be the one who will rescue. He'll be the one who can forgive. He's the one that you've been crying out for. So get down there and find him and worship him. And then suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts saying glory to God in the highest down on earth, Peace. Now, the King Jimmy Bible has a more familiar line. Goodwill towards men is what it reads. But it's not just quite as accurate because the peace that is promised really isn't for all men. It's offered to all men, but the people who will find this peace are those who take up the angel's invitation to go and worship the king. See, peace would be a wonderful thing, right? I mean, our country is so tribal right now. The whole UK and Northern Ireland. Uh, If I hear the word Brexit one more time, I will cry. And look, I don't don't care about your politics. I don't care about what way you voted or what your priorities were a few weeks ago. But can we just admit that everybody seems to be angry at everyone else right now? And it's like you can't have a different opinion of someone else without getting attacked and angry. There's so much anger. Everyone's so easily offended. But the angel says here that the baby in swaddling clothes will bring peace. Now, there is one thing a newborn baby does not bring, and that is Peace. They bring joy, absolutely. They bring busyness. They bring laughs and love that you never thought you ever could have mustered for another human being. They also bring nights of sleeplessness, a lot of noise and smells and frustration. And for those who have just become parents, I, I beg you, do not go up to them and say, So is was at AAC. And they say babies bring peace. I'm sure you're enjoying all the peace that's in your house right now because they may get angry and lash out at you. So what are the angels talking about? What, what peace is there for a baby? Well, it ties in with Isaiah 9. 700 years before these events took place, the promise of light in the darkness, Isaiah says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Baby will bring peace. Not because he's a baby, but peace because of what that baby will do. Again, I don't assume anything about you or how you're feeling about coming into the final street before Christmas. But I'm sure you're, there's a wee bit of stress a wee bit of panic. There's to-do lists. How long did you spend in art shopping centre last yesterday, trying to get a parking space? Following people with the trolley because you think they're about to leave. But are you leaving? Uh, you know. And all the family get-togethers, a whole day with the in-laws. Maybe you look at the calendar and all that's going on, and you think, I just want some peace. And so, as a close, the way to really know peace is not to declutter, it's not about getting out of all the unwanted commitments or avoiding busy shops and parking chaos. Or staring at the postman to see if he's going to finally bring in stuff that you ordered two weeks ago that you were promised that would definitely, definitely be here on time. It's not the absence of things, but it's the presence of someone. The Prince of Peace. The one the angels pointed the shepherds to. And invited the colonel to worship. And you also tonight are invited to come and to worship him. No excuses. No excuses are going to work with me tonight, okay? I promise you that because all are welcome. So what did the shepherds do? Think they waited and said, well, my shift is, here. I'm not finished until 6 a.m. I'm going to have to stay. Or they didn't think, well, maybe they were probably talking to someone else. They are probably, talk, probably talking to some guys behind me. They wouldn't talk to me, so I'm not going to even investigate. Says, well, you know, I've got lots going on, so maybe I'll go in a couple of days. I'm free Saturday afternoon, I'll I'll head down then. No, they they got up, they left their sheep behind, they abandoned their post, and they found the savior, and they found all that the angels have promised, and they worshipped. And that's the Christmas message, folks. Not a single one of us can ever be good enough to meet God, to be good enough to impress him, to be good enough to, that he, to convince him to let us in. You don't earn God's love. We already have it. We're talking this morning to the kids about trying to just trust God like Mary did. And Joseph did. I, and I, I find myself time and time again coming back to this. That we always have this idea of, but I'm good enough. Or we come with this idea of, but that doesn't apply to me. that That's everyone else's problem, but it's not my problem. I'm too busy. I got, there will there, be another time that will work out better for me. And yet, Christ offers everything that you're looking for. That joy, that peace, that that, that confidence and hope and the everything that is there. Everything that those empty holes in your heart are looking for are found in Christ. I'm not saying it's, your life's picture perfect. We've covered that. There's, there's no such thing as picture perfect. But what there is, is peace in the storms. What there is, is, is hope in the darkness. What there is, is comfort through the trials and through those difficulties. And so I, I want to beg you, I, and I don't care if you've never been in church before, and this is all brand new to too, or, or, or you've been coming here for years. Now is the time. To come and say, I am going to go and worship him. I'm going to let everything else go. I'm going to drop everything else. And right now, my priority is to find this Christ that's been talked about. I'm going to worship him. I'm going to make him my focus. And I'm going to reap the rewards of coming near to him. Folks, it's a busy time of year. And I hope you have a great time with all the family get-togethers. I hope all the parcels arrive on time. And I hope that all the food gets cooked right. And I hope all of it goes well. And you've got all the traveling that is smooth and all the rest of it. But I promise you, you're you're making the you're building the jigsaw with the wrong picture in mind. If you think that's what makes Christmas so special, fix your eyes on this different this this other picture that God wants us to see. That whoever you are, whoever high or however low, however rich or poor, or whatever is going on, whatever the baggage is, however many your scars and bruises and wounds may be. Come. Come. Find forgiveness. Find that clean slate, that fresh start. And see God put the pieces of the puzzle together in a way that is so unexpected. And you will rejoice just like the shepherds did. John, back over to you as we sing our last piece.